Welcome to the Take Us to the Game podcast, a light-hearted and irreverent look at the world of sport. This week I'm joined by Ollie Scully. Hello. And Tom Gibbs. Hi, hi. How are we guys? Very good. I'm feeling great. I have to say I'm feeling excited. It's starting to feel like the normal world might be returning with the announcement that live sport is due to recommence here in England. The last rounds of the Premier League will have a few fans in, I think up to 10,000. Hopefully there'll be a few people at the cricket this summer as well. And really after over a year of hiatus, incredibly exciting to be heading back to uh, see some live sport this summer, hopefully. It's going to be good. I'm just trying to choose what to, what to get tickets for, I suppose. It's 100 coming up, lots of tickets being pushed for that. Could be a good chance to see some crickets. See there's all the, um, all the county stuff going on. That's crying out for fans. <laughs> it always is. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's traditional that there's nobody at the at the county cricket. Maybe, maybe if everyone turns up on mass, well, they won't know what to do with us. <laughs> yeah, they had that at Kent actually because the the members were up in arms about county restricting access to the tickets until somebody pointed out that look, if you can have ten percent capacity and we can have six thousand in the ground. Yeah, we only get about 300 normally, <laughs> so <laughs> we can double attendance and everyone can come. Yeah, is the, I wonder if the first first game there's going to be sort of stories sort of viewed through sort of wide angle lenses of look at all these people crowding into the cricket and leaving their litter everywhere and having having barbecues in the wrong place. <laughs> Coming here, just, just spoil, you know, spoiling our beauty spot, otherwise deserted cricket ground. I only come here for the peace and quiet. Now there's 10 other people. It's, it's ruined. So I'm, the thing I wanted to talk about this week is that I'm fascinated by the idea of sport being the ultimate meritocracy. It's very difficult to hide, in, 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 at least in top-class sport. You're either good enough or you're not. And you can complain about how much guys at the, at the very highest level of football are earning. But no one can really dispute that they're very much the best footballers in the world or the best rugby or cricketers in the world. And every now and again, a story comes along that, that perverts that. There was a story this week in Wisden. So Wisden is, well, Ollie, what's, what is Wisden? Explain it to uh, somebody who's not come across Wisden before. Well, it, it is sort of the authoritative write-up of, of all cricket everywhere, really. I think they kind of cover, you know, cover every game that's kind of ever been played if you want to sort of research sort of the history of the game you know kind of wisdom is your your place to start and they obviously kind of cover the current game and you know in this instance have done some pretty good investigative journalism into um into one particular internationally renowned cricketer so that's right wisdom is it is the cricketing bible you know pre-internet era they used to produce this well they still do produce a massive book every year with all the cricketing stats in but they also do a very good website now and as you say uh, investigative reporting and there's a chap called um Stuart oliver who's written the piece i think he's at reverse sweeper on twitter um it's actually a six-parter and we've only seen the first part um but it's absolutely fascinating i really wanted to talk about today and it concerns a chap by the name of adrian shankar and tom had you ever come across adrian shankar before I have not. And you're right. It's a, it's a great read. I don't think Worcester should come across Adrian Shankar before. I think it's fair to say without spoiling the story. No, I don't think they had uh, beyond looking it up on Wikipedia, which, to be fair, is where we get most of our information from. But to be started at the beginning, 
uh, Adrian Shankar is a an Anglo Indian, I suppose. Again, according to Wikipedia, and <laughs> which is you you might, you might, <laughs> might be called Keith Smith. <laughs> As we go on, you'll be doubting this more and more. It is widely accepted that he went to Bedford School. He was there at the same time as Alistair Cook. And then he went up to Cambridge in 2000 and, well, I think 2000 or 2001. And he was good enough to play for Cambridge University, which I think having... Which is not a shabby well, standard. Not shabby at all. Wasn't it slightly debatable about how good he was, though? Because he only had one innings of note. Did you not see that? Yeah, I don't think he said... He obviously was a decent enough looking batsman to get in the team, which I think... We would have all loved to get near the team and didn't. So we can't completely, you know, talk him down. But he, you're right, Tom, he did not set the university cricket world alight. I think he had one decent knock, which sort of propped his batting average up. Yeah. But I think a, a series of pretty, pretty mediocre scores um, for the rest of his rest of his time. Uh, so I think, you know, lots of good, you know, Good county cricketers kind of come through the university system, but most of them tend to do so with kind of glittering, glittering CVs, you know, having punished lots of hungover students along the way. And he hadn't really done that. He'd sort of just made hay on one occasion. <laughs> so the university cricket system in England is about as close as we have to college sport in America in that the counties, which is the highest level of of professional cricket in the in England they use they do early season friendlies they warm up their season against the universities so they will play student teams and the games are classified as first class previously it would have straight been the university and and, and people as illustrious as uh, you know the likes of Imran Khan and Mike Atherton and Nasser Hussain have come from the university system but you're right uh, so Shankar he, he had uh, six or seven first class innings against proper counties um, in which I think he scored about you know, 20 runs in the seven games, which are, you know, fairly abysmal. But he did have this one fantastic innings against Oxford University, which still counts as a first class game, even though, according to the Cambridge coach at the time, the bowling attack was utter dross. <laughs> but do you know who dismissed him in that game? Do I not. Do not. I, I, can, I have, can we have a guess? Is it Jamie Dalrymple? No. Ollie, you want to have a guess? Is it? Steve Horwinkle. It was Steve Horwinkle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the, <laughs> this will not mean much to many people listening. No, Steve Horwinkle was a was a contemporary of ours and was yes. probably the well was the by far the best cricketer at our college, right? Yes. Yeah. And he looked like a decent cricketer when he played against us or with us. I, I always considered wearing a helmet against. <laughs> <laughs> so this gives us a decent yardstick to to judge this guy by because we, we we know some people who, who've done okay for who played for uh for oxford university you mentioned jamie dalrymple gibbs uh he went on to a professional career in yeah. county cricket and i think he even played for england a few times in the squad certainly um he retired after marrying you know who he married i do not uh he married one of the sackler family of uh purdue farmer fame so he's not going to be suffering from pain anytime soon because he's got a ready supply of oxysotin <laughs> good trivia <laughs> so 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 shankar on the bait on the back of that gets the captaincy of cambridge university i think he read law but never really achieves much beyond that yet i think it's nearly six years later in 2008 he turns up at lancashire seconds 
except this time he's now three years younger. Yeah, he's somehow managed to shed a few years along the way. It's the, it's the dream. Yeah. Now, did either of you get to the bit where teammate challenged him as to why he was claimed he was three years younger than his actual birth age? Yeah, this was a good excuse, wasn't it? That he'd he he'd been in a a coma, was it? Yeah. And so he wasn't, although he'd aged in you know, years had passed, they hadn't passed for him. It was like he was. <laughs> I don't know whether he'd mistaken being in a coma for sort of being frozen in carbonite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is very Hollywood. Or whether he'd sort of, you know, thought he'd stepped into the quantum leap accelerator or something. But in his mind, he wasn't three years older because he'd been in a coma. Um, I suspect he probably was never in a coma either. <laughs> but so he, certainly, he has... certainly wasn't three years younger. <laughs> so he, he does okay for Lancashire seconds. I think he gets, you know, a few scores in the 30s, and maybe a couple of not out. And offer glowing recommendation from his coach at Cambridge, who describes him as the most gifted person to come through a university since John Crawley, no doubt. He went on to you know, a decent England career. Uh, uh, Mike a, Watkinson a, a decides quote, to take him on. A quote which apparently the head coach at Cambridge University quite adamant that he never said. <laughs> <laughs> so that does sound like a glowing recommendation and would be a glowing recommendation if he'd ever said it. But he didn't. Yeah. Maybe he whispered it to him while he was in his coma. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't rest on his laurels that winter, Tom. What does he do? Where does he go? Well, if you want to go and have a successful modern cricketing career, you go and find yourself some franchise cricket. And where better um, than Sri Lanka? Jewel, teardrop of the Indian Ocean, home to some fanatical fans. Go and get yourself some, uh, some franchise cricket, some T20 out there. And uh, I'm sure you're... Uh, your star will be rising. And that's what he did, to be fair. He took himself off to Sri Lanka, where he had a fantastic winter, both in Sri Lankan domestic cricket and was the top scorer in their T20 franchise uh, tournament, averaging 52, uh, receiving glowing reviews, which he then presented to Worcestershire Cricket Club, who were only too happy to sign him in the uh, early part of 2011. Took a jink of a for number sixes in an over, I think, as well, didn't he? Didn't he, hit, did, didn't he hit 76 off four overs at one point? I mean, that is That's... some going. Almost unbelievably good scoring. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, due to injuries at Worcester, he gets into the team more or less straight away. And he opens the batting in a one-day game against Middlesex. And manages to get a three-ball duck. But, you know, that happens to the best of us. Anybody who opens the batting in cricket, can know, can you, you can get a good one. And then he gets a, a nod in the side a couple of days later in the championship, this time against Durham. And he spends five sessions in the field as Durham rack up nearly 600. And then he comes into bat with Worcester 50 for four towards the end of the day with Moeen Ali at the other end, no less. And Steve Harmison, a very young Moeen, charging into the ball. Um, and he does OK in that he survives the evening. He gets to the end of the day, 10 not outs. But there's an indication that Steve Harmison might have worried him a little bit, Ollie. Yes, I think um, I think there was, from what I've read, it sounds like the the Durham cricketers were quite enjoying bowling at him and felt that um, they didn't necessarily want to get him out because they were enjoying bowling at him so much. I don't know whether 
they were at any point worried that Steve Armisen was going to hit him quite badly with a with a short ball. But it did sound like they they felt they probably had him when they wanted him. <laughs> I think it's worth it's worth saying that Steve Armisen was probably bowling at about ninety miles an hour at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, possibly at second slip. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Every other ball. Yeah. So the next morning in the warm ups, uh, Adrian goes to field one and. Oh no, he's only gone and blown his hamstring. Oh, oh no, what, what a shame. <laughs> because he, you know, having survived the the bowling of a of a tired fast bowler at the end of a day, I'm sure. He'd, he'd well, you done really, all the hard work. Yeah, you go and cash in the next morning. He was looking forward to him fresh. Yeah, I think. I don't know how, don't know how much batting Harmison had done. Maybe. He'd, <laughs> Maybe he'd just been slogging himself out. I've not looked at how they got on and how he got on with the bat. The genesis of that injury is quite amusing as well. They were just doing the, a bit of casual fielding. And apparently throwing a ball at a stub caused him to fall in a heap directly to the floor, claiming a leg injury. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like throwing to sort out a leg injury. Well, I have missed a bit out in, in talking about getting his contract at Lancashire. He did miss a couple of games after retrieving a ball that had gone into a a garden adjoining the cricket field. He then emerged clutching a hamstring <laughs> at the same time as well, yeah. <laughs> managing to miss the rest of that game. Getting injured while out of sight. I mean, I had a, I once, a little aside. I was once playing in a, in a, in a club game against the, the West Indian great uh, Collis King. And one of our, it was, Basically, nobody wanted to play in this game because they knew what was going to happen. And so it was a lot of the sort of, you know, like myself, it was lots of under 16s and you know, that were put up as the lambs to the slaughter. And one of them was plucky enough to try and bounce Collis King. And Collis King, which is a World Cup winner with <laughs> the West Indies, um, didn't take kindly to being bounced by a, uh, a 16 year old, declared no one bounces Collis King and just, just decided to lay waste to the. <laughs> <laughs> to the to the rest of the bowling and just it was it was brutal um and did he did ball, he genuinely refer to himself in the third person yeah yeah he referred to himself <laughs> in the third person no one bounces collis collis king and just absolutely you know laid laid waste to everything the ball was flying to all corners including um one lad was worried that he had to he had to climb over into someone's garden and and get a ball which had gone into a greenhouse and he was worried about cutting himself because he'd heard the you know the crash of breaking glass as this ball had flown into this greenhouse he's worried what he's going to find um so he's really injured he could injure himself while retrieving the ball but luckily there was both an, an entry wound and an exit wound to the greenhouse had <laughs> <laughs> got so much on it he'd push it get it through the greenhouse and the ball was just lying in a in a pile of glass right in the middle of this guy's lawn. Um, so, yeah, he was able to get it back without cutting himself on glass or pulling a hamstring. Um, but although I think all the bowlers that day would probably have, uh, have quite gladly taken some injury to, to save their career figures. Because it was so not let's, just, let's just say there was no danger to the greenhouses of New Road on that particular match. <laughs> <laughs> because as, as, uh, as our hero Adrian returned... This time on crutches um, to meet his employers, he was informed that his his contract had been terminated because it turned out that the cricket league he'd been playing in that winter in Sri Lanka was essentially fictional and that he had made it up 
both in terms of it, creating a website for it, but also creating the Wikipedia page and also all the relevant stats for it. Uh, but it, I don't think it was just him on his own. What I don't understand about the story is the, what the bat sponsorship. So he was being sponsored. This by is Mongoose, yes. Mongoose, yeah. Uh, or they were in some way it invested in him as a brand. And I don't understand why and how they were involved in sort of setting up this entire elaborate fraud, essentially. Well, this is where we're doing the job for wisdom, aren't we? Because we're setting it up. We've only seen uh, part one of the of the expose. And actually, a lot of this information came out in the, over the last few years. And there was even a thing for a while where people would update the Adrian Shankar Wikipedia page with outlandish claims in honor of, of this nonsense. But the new wrinkle on it, of course, is, yes, what happens uh, earlier on in that winter, where along with his uh, his sponsor, Mongoose, he starts uh, basically spamming a lot of the owners and coaches and scouts of the Indian Premier League, saying in an email, there's this new batsman, he's had a life-changing event, so ignore all of his previous statistics. Yeah, life-changing uh, event unspecified. Exactly. Was, was, this, was this the sort of... Um the year reducing coma should <laughs> it, honestly he's if you a, woke up a three-year net <laughs> if you woke up three years younger i think that's life-changing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it brains of a prof captain captain cambridge that was true <laughs> then he threw in and has charisma to boot you know and then had this whole load of uh, articles from journalists none of whom could be traced and those who could had never written about cricket before backing it up but, very uh, very recent profiles. <laughs> what an incredible length to go to to try and make it in the world professional sport. Because he must have known at some point he would have to go out and bat. He must have known this. That's the intriguing thing about the story. What I again another question I've got, which I'm sure the wisdom pieces will get to, is why Worcestershire? <laughs> Were they the only ones gullible enough? <laughs> or you know, why didn't you go for a good county? <laughs> <laughs> Did, did did New Road have a reputation as being a very sort of slow, low pitch at that point where it wasn't going to get above waist high? And Well, it's normally underwater in the early part yeah. of the season. Maybe, <laughs> I mean, that's what he was hoping for. He wouldn't actually have to play. Well, I think this is something we might find out. I would imagine that he'd probably written to all 18 counties to manage to get himself in at some point. But, yeah, absolutely fascinating. The psychology of it all. Because as you say, it's, it's at some point to be a professional cricketer, you're going to have to play some cricket. And if you're not up to the standard, then it could hurt. <laughs> if you've got uh, if you've got a genuinely kick bowler and you don't know how to deal with it, you're going to get you're going to be in trouble. I mean, there is the other side of it that maybe you just want to be a cricketer, a, the persona of a cricketer. And I don't know, Rich, if you'll allow me, but I've got a, a, an example of another professional sportsman who, in this case, wanted to be a footballer, but didn't want to play football. If that's uh, an, if, if, if that's an applicable analogy here. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is a story that's been told uh, in a few different means. And I, I do recommend if people are interested, they're going out and find them. It's a guy called Carlos Kaiser. Kaiser, as in German uh, leader. Um, named such because of his resemblance to Franz Beckenbauer. This, lad's, <laughs> this lad hasn't got a lot of Franz Beckenbauer about, about him, apart from he played briefly in the 70s for Botafogo's <laughs> youth team, where it found, actually, Botafogo, a Rio de Janeiro-based club in Brazil, he found mostly what he was good at was being a Rio personality. <laughs> I should point out that 
there's an alternative uh, explanation of his nickname, which is that he was shaped like a bottle of beer. <laughs> and there is a <laughs> slightly and short and stubby. <laughs> and as a as a former resident of Rio, I can confirm there is a brand of beer called Kaiser. Uh, sold in the city would make more sense but this carlos kaiser this kaiser didn't drink himself <laughs> but he was a local legend on the beaches you know playing a little kick around maybe also going to nightclubs made a lot of good friends including zico carlos alberto legendary brazilian footballer but essentially and openly in his story these days has decided that he just wanted to be a footballer but not play football so set off <laughs> on a career of I think it's a total of about 18 years in the end where 26. he appeared. Oh, 26 if you take 26. all the sort of bit parts. Yeah. yeah, 18 I think for professional clubs as a as a you know as an adult and essentially moving club to club, short term contracts, but never playing a game. And I, I say go and find the story out there. But some of the methods he was using to avoid playing are worth just repeating here. I was going to say, I think uh, Rob Smythe, who writes for The Guardian, uh, wrote a, an excellent book about it a couple of years ago. Might well have done. And there's certainly a film out there. Um, I think it's called The Greatest Football Who Never Played. It turns up in Mexico in the early 80s and essentially just immediately gets injured. So we're back to that sort of story again. Fine. But then also, and this is for Puebla, who are a pretty big team in Mexico, starts, finds what, like a toy mobile phone, which is like a very <laughs> nascent thing. In the 80s. Nobody really knows what a mobile phone is. So he's got this toy phone, holds it up to his ear in sort of earshot of other clubs, club mates and like the assistant manager and stuff, and speaks in rubbish English saying how he's rejecting transfer offers because he's happy at the club. (laughs) (laughs) Which just makes me think of Dom Jolly, Trigger Happy TV, going, Hello! No, I'm happy at the club! It'd probably be like, no, I'm happy it's a club. Anyway, he manages Mexico for a couple of years. But whilst he's there, apart from not playing football, he's also making friends with loads of journalists and loads of the locals who start (laughs) writing him up in loads of press releases. And so he goes back to Rio, signs with Botafogo, does exactly the same. Then does the same for Fluminense, Vasco, uh, Flamengo and uh, Banjo as well. Like all the big clubs in Rio at some point over the next 10 years fall for this trick. This is the amazing thing because he's from Rio, right? And he played at Botafogo as as a youngster. Yeah. So pulling it off in Mexico, that's one thing, you know, pretending you're the Brazilian who comes in. And I'm sure he's not the only Brazilian who's pulled this trick. But then to go back to Rio and to be played. Yeah. Paid professionally by all four Rio clubs at some point. It's incredible. And and makes friends with Bebeto, Renato in the process. There's loads of footage and pictures of him out there with them. Just uh, them singing his praises. And I, think <laughs> and, he had, I think he did, if I'm right in thinking, he did a good line in actually just pretending to be Renato. <laughs> like I think there was some sort of passing resemblance. So he would just sort of talk his way into nightclubs saying, I'm, I'm Renato. And then... I think I think he got busted when the real Renato turned up and the bouncer like he can't be him because he's already in there. <laughs> Love that. He, but the thing is, he doesn't drink. He gets signed by Vasco reputedly because they've got a one of their players has got a, an alcohol problem. <laughs> And this reputation that he's developed for himself is as a non-drinking good man. So they sign him to come and bring the other player into line. And it, I think it's for Fluminense. He's in a nightclub. One of his mates on the team takes a punch and starts a fight in the club. And he's so desperate to not have to play the game that weekend. Says, <laughs> I'll take the rap. Throws himself on that completely. And then 
<laughs> and is immediately suspended from playing. And he but, even okay. manages to get himself overseas, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. over to Europe, I should say. Yeah, he goes over to Ajaccio in Corsica. Again, doesn't play a game over there. So if you look at his Wikipedia stats, it's hilarious. It's just a list of clubs with zero appearances, zero goals. Next. Um, but anyway, so he's in Ajaccio and they're doing like the big press release. Yeah, he gets he gets introduced to the fans, doesn't he? How's he going to get out of this one? Surely he has to do some keepy-uppies or, or something. Oh, no. No, he doesn't. Well, he spends the entire hour with the journalists doing pumping footballs at, into the stand. Uh, the large crowd that's assembled to welcome their Brazilian hero whilst kissing the badge for an hour. <laughs> no skill, no goals, no training. <laughs> it isn't the closest he comes to actually having to go on the pitch um, in a real game is when he's at uh, when he's at Bangu. Yeah. That right. And he's actually you know he's actually on the bench and is told to to warm up, and so he's kind of. You know, jogging up and down the touchline, trying to trying to put on an act of someone that wants to play football and wants to get on the pitch, but uh, really trying to think what's he going to do. And a group of supporters behind the goal are shouting at him. It remains to be seen what what they were shouting at him. But he climbs into the crowd and starts a fight, <laughs> <laughs> manages to get himself a red card before he even gets on the pitch and a sizable suspension and so another another six months with his feet up but the thing is he then tells the club <laughs> what he makes up that they were te- they were shouting at him abuse at, about his mother or something was it yeah it was, abu- I... it was told uh, is that the fans were shouting abuse of the um the owner the, of the owner because the owner says that the owner immediately after the game choose him out for starting the fight avoiding coming on he then allows it to transpire that he was actually defending the owner's honor who (laughs) then has to make a public apology to him for getting himself sent off to avoid playing yeah but then he signed then he gives uh poor old carlos kaiser a contract extension (laughs) on the back of it (laughs) six months now call me what you like but i think that's the genius fraud because he's not exposing himself to steve harmerson at 90 miles an hour is he no and i I think the lifestyle of a of a brazilian footballer in brazil sounds sounds pretty good i can kind of see his motivation that's no slight on worcestershire (laughs) i I don't think the beaches in worcestershire are quite as good are they (laughs) And go paddling on New Road yeah. <laughs> on the square. <laughs> it's impressive. So does he ever does he ever spend a minute on the field? According to the stats, no, I don't <laughs> think he does. Uh, hence the film is called the Ma- the greatest footballer who never played a game. It's it's because it's it's not the only case of footballers who aren't quite what they seem, though, is it? No, well, a, it would never happen over here. Surely, no, it would surely. never happen here. You would you would have, you sort of like to think that um, English clubs playing in the top flight would do um, would do a fair amount of due diligence when it comes to looking into their new signings. Uh, certainly now you would expect them to be sort of scouring hours of footage and, and kind of knowing the ins and outs of a player and also putting them through a pretty pretty serious amount of off you know training and and tryout work before you let them anywhere near the pitch. They say not, that. Uh... Harry Redknapp never signed a player. He hadn't checked on Championship Manager. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's it's not such a distant past when um, when uh, Southampton were were very fortunate to get a call from um, 
the, the incredibly talented George Ware, who rang them up. Um, obviously, must have been his first choice, and he obviously had them just sat in his in his little black book. <laughs> rang him up and said that his his cousin was uh, was in the UK and looking looking for a game. And um, obviously, if you're Southampton, you um, you would jump at the chance of signing the next George Ware uh, on the rec- personal recommendation of the existing George Ware. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, and then and then sign him up immediately before anyone else gets a sniff of this um, this breaking talent and uh, get him straight on the pitch at the, at the earliest opportunity, even if it turns out. They were absolutely terrible, <laughs> but uh, but lo and behold, that's what Southampton did under the Graham Sooners. What was it? You guys know the dates of this? You know the story? Is it nineties? It must be mid nineties. Like, I want to say ninety six. I, I would say I had ninety six in mind, but it's that kind of time. So the gentleman's name, of course, is is Ali Dyer, and he I think he had played one non-league game for Bishop Auckland before deciding that. He didn't want to play non-league. What he really wanted to do was play play Premier League. Yeah. I think it and was Blythe Spartans. Sorry, Blythe Spartans. Yeah. You know, the Bishop Auckland fans listening are going to be furious. Yeah. Uh, right, we, we've already lost Worcestershire. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Ali Dyer will be. It, it was it was Blythe Spartans. I'll have you know. <laughs> Don't tarnish me with the. <laughs> so you're right, and I think I think according to it was his agent who phoned up Southampton and yeah. claimed george Ware, but he manages to get himself there now does he train does he have they seen any of him so this so this is where i think when i because I, I remember this at the time when it happened back in the 90s and i it sounded like the after after the event i think everyone wanted to say that he just injuries meant that he hadn't trained and they'd just thrown him straight in completely unseen. But I've, I've since seen uh, an interview with uh, Matt Letizia, who was obviously was at the club at the time. And I think was the player that, uh, that he came on for. I think Letizia was uh, started the, the game uh, against Leeds, uh, was injured in the first half. And so Ali Dyer was on the bench and was, was brought on. But Letizia's version of events is that they had had a training session and he had been had been terrible in the training session. <laughs> I think Letizia, I think he's, his version of events is that he thought this guy had just won some sort of raffle <laughs> and the prize was to get a day's training with the team. And everyone was very nice to him. It didn't go in very hard on him because, you know, this is his big day out. And then was quite surprised the next day when he then was there on the team bus <laughs> <laughs> and was in the changing room. And like, oh, we've even given him a shirt. And so, oh, we're being very nice to this guy. And then was really quite surprised to see <laughs> his number coming up. <laughs> and he was actually coming on the pitch. It was a very baggy shirt. <laughs> from, I think there's only sort of two clips that survive of it. One is him coming on and another is him nearly scoring. Yeah. He pounds it into Nigel Martin's knees. <laughs> and Nigel another, Martin no. fumbles it, right? <laughs> well, there's another footballer who probably won a raffle. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I think now if you sort of Google like Ali, Ali Dyer, you know, he kind of appears in lists of like worst footballers ever to play in the in the league. But I do sort of wonder what would have happened if that goal had gone in, right? If he scored on debut. The, the Dell's going to be singing his name. It's going to be ha- quite hard to then to drop him. <laughs> so I kind of wonder 
you know, how many how many games, how many goals he might have got if he'd if he'd been in, you know, if that goal had gone in. Well, well that was the joke, you'd... wasn't it? That you know he was playing up front that day with Egger Lostenstadt. <laughs> how do you look good playing alongside Egger Lostenstadt? <laughs> I suggest that knowing my ability at fantasy football, I probably tried to put him in my team. And, <laughs> except for then I remember that probably involved in the mid-90s sending in about four stamps on the back of a postcard. Well, if you swap him in, if he'd scored and you'd swapped him in, then you're going to have to wait a long time to take him out again. Yeah. But it's, it's right that he comes on as a sub and then gets subbed himself. Yeah, subbed. Right. Yeah. And I think he has 50 minutes on the pitch and then never appears again. That, that's the best bit of footage from the whole incident. The post-match interview with Graham Souness, where first question is about, oh, how's Matt, Matt Letizia's injury? Obviously, the star player. Second question is, what about the lad you brought on to replace him? And you just see his face <laughs> crumble live yeah. on Sky Sports. Tremendous. Yeah, and he he says, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we've got him signed for another few months. So, we'll, you know, we'll give us a good chance to have a proper look at him. <laughs> Styles out. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, as if at that point he's still got some wants us to believe that there's a bit of bit of a way back and that he's maybe just had a, a poor game. Should have loaned him to Portsmouth. So have either of you ever had a trial for an association football club? Well, no, not officially. I mean, that's not what you not, told me before. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, hence the question. Yeah. Hence, hence why I don't want to be a fraud. Okay, so yeah, I've played at games where scouts have been present. Yeah. I don't think. Were, were they in shorts with a woggle? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Yeovil Town, obviously the local club, you know, from my from my hood, used to come around occasionally, have a look. I don't think they were specifically looking at me, but you know. I was doing great, great things from right back, I'm sure. <laughs> Were you hard to miss? <laughs> I could. I was one of the few kids who could uh, put a bit of bend on the ball as a kid. <laughs> Did you know which way it was going no, to go? No, but admittedly, probably an away game at Portland, a very strong wind, but you could do magic <laughs> for the thing. How about yourself, Ollie? What's the closest you've ever come to professional sport? Ooh, uh, I, think my, I think my footballing career peaked in a primary school where the, for some reason the um the catholic primary school in in york only played against other catholic primary schools i don't know quite why why this was i don't know whether we we weren't allowed to mix with the the heathens of <laughs> <laughs> the church of england schools or uh, any other kind of non-denominational schools uh, but there was like this little catholic primary school tournament and we were up against I think it might have been a team called Buttercram, um, who was a little village outside outside York. They must have had a school, and uh, and yeah, we got through to the final, and I had this quite tricksy uh, little centre forward, uh, and I was I was playing in defence at a level of football where there was defence meant you sort of stayed back and only um, and then everybody else sort of mobbed forward in classic sort of primary school sort of style but this was this felt like a proper tournament with nets so you're just describing a time you played football ollie no but <laughs> but this was the final and there was silverware at stake oh, okay right and we somehow we'd played all right in this little tournament we'd made it through uh, we qualified for the, the finals day and we got into this we got into uh, the final and this we'd sort of seen this uh, this particular lad it seemed to be tearing it up against everybody else and uh, I think we'd managed to get a draw against him in the group stage. I'd, I'd, I'd marked him out of the game in the 
group stage and i've marked him out <laughs> in your pocket was he yeah it was completely because he, he was only about um he was only about three foot tall <laughs> and i'd stuck to him and he didn't get a, he didn't get a kick in the group stage and we got a draw i think i think it was nil nil in the groups and then we so we met them again in the final and again my sort of instruction was just just uh, it's all going through this little guy stick on him so i did until i think sort of like the last minute of extra time when they get a free kick which they swing into the box and this little kid peels off the back and despite being only three foot tall um it hits him on the head and nestles in the bottom corner that's allowed it's called a header yep and i just could not believe it because i was about i felt like i was a foot taller than them than him and there was no way it could possibly get over me to him but it did and it went in and then you know then i got the blame for letting him go and uh, and yeah that that was it i was never the same player again are you not going to tell us who that player was no he was an absolute nobody <laughs> I thought, oh, oh. No, that... I thought you were going to say he turned out he was. You know. He probably turned out he was. You know, he was probably turned out turned like out Alan, Smith or, Alan Smith or somebody. Or no, no, he was he was far too short to be a footballer, unless he was a young Luka Modric. Seems unlikely. I, I Seems feel like unlikely. I was listening to that Gibbs thinking I'm sure he's going to tell us who who that was. I was convinced. Yeah. So the end, so the end of your story is that you didn't mark somebody at a corner and your team lost. Yeah, that's it. And that's as close as you got that's to. That's as, clo- that as close as I got to glory. Was there was was there even a scout watching? I mean, was there someone just ripping up a contract in front of you at the end of the game? <laughs> yeah. I think I could have had a glittering career if I'd have. Uh, you know. Well, I think we've talked on this podcast before how you know in order to win trophies, the best way to win trophies is to win the first one and then you keep winning them and that was my chance to win a trophy and uh that was it the, that was the, it. the man right. on the touchline just saw a sheepskin getting into a car and you've no Stroll idea what it could have been yeah oh, my adrian shankar moment was when i was i think i was 16 or 17 years old and uh, there's lots of do-gooder charities down in the southeast of england um i think this was a particular royal one i think maybe prince of wales trust and it was basically to get disadvantaged kids to go and have a game of cricket on the south coast so we got to play uh, two inner city boroughs from london got to have a game at arundel so it was tower hamlets which yeah quite quite a deprived area versus the deprived borough of islington i would say it's grim up north london <laughs> yeah <laughs> To be fair, there are some there are some very deprived areas of Islington, but they're not really playing cricket. So this this uh, this eleven we put together was yeah mostly public school boys, and um and I was I was captain actually I think because I was the oldest rather than any other um, sporting feature. But uh, this team we played had a couple of handy players, and they had one lad who I don't know if this was true or not, but they said he played sort of he played Pakistan under 17s. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but he was rapid uh, and certainly the fastest thing I've ever, I've ever faced. And I managed to survive about four balls of him, managed to get off strike. Um, and I'm not saying that played in my mind as I batted against the spinner the next over, but I did manage to get myself out going for a massive hoik <laughs> and didn't have to face him again. But uh, no, that's about as close as I've ever got to uh, 
you know what it'd be like to play somebody of a kind of professional standard so for the rest of the adrian shanker story check it out on wisdom for the kaiser uh, there's that book by Rod smythe the film where's the film gibbs where can people find that uh i wouldn't like to know it's I, I on amazon I've... prime is it thank you you can see oh, it on amazon it's... prime <laughs> <laughs> and uh look up ali dyer on youtube and to find out who the three-foot man who destroyed ollie at a corner was maybe we'll never know but tom ollie <laughs> thanks very much <laughs>